Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is August 31st, 2015. This is episode 137. And I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my Ben McDonald light, Jake English. For those listening to us, you should be following us on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at Baltimore Sports Report. Uh, we often recommend checking them out on a daily basis, especially for Baltimore Sports Today, which will give you your daily upkeep of all Orioles news as much as you do not want to hear it right now. Uh, but again, they're also covering other Baltimore sports such as the Ravens, the Terps, and anything else to get your mind off the Orioles. You can also check us out on other third-party applications such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and that Apple product that likes to shut people down. Uh, otherwise known as iTunes. Please, if you get a chance, go give us a review on those applications. It greatly helps in spreading the word about uh, how lovely it is to listen to the Orioles during this September period. Uh, next, check us out on social media at facebook.com slash BEVcast and on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And, you know, what a great week to be an Orioles fan. It's the perfect segue to the drink of the week. Jake. What are you drinking this week? Well, I am drinking, I'm drinking in celebration. Ah, okay. I, I am drinking a beer out of Chicago, Illinois, to celebrate uh, Jake Arrieta's no hitter. Oh, um, because it's the only thing we can celebrate. I am, I am drinking a Threadless India Pale Ale from the Finch's Beer Company, and you know what? It's pretty good. It's pretty it's got, good. It's got a Finch on it, a cartoon Finch. It does. That's it's interesting. Jake, I have to tip the cap to you. You brought over an assortment of beer since I was uh, unable to go to the liquor store today. Jake, I'm drinking a Hercules Double IPA from Great Divide Brewing Company. Don't really know much about it. It's not bad. You picked an excellent beer here. Uh, I think the the real debt of gratitude you owe me is not bringing you beer infused with grapefruit. I, I actually would have been okay with grapefruit. It probably would have been the last summer beer I had. Folks, we're entering into fall beer territory here. It is perfectly acceptable after this weekend to start to infuse your beer with pumpkin once again. You get your pumpkin away from my beer. Well, that's going to make a lot of white chicks that are listening to this show very upset. Oh, wait. There's not that many of them. <laughs> um, let's all pop over to the medical wing. Uh, J.G. Hardy, still in the DL. Possibly return, you know, in a few weeks. But yeah, they might just shut him down for the year based off of how things are going. Chaz Rowe, probably be back sometime next week once the, you know, rosters expand. Mike Wright, again, probably won't be back up until September. And that'll be... Here in a few, it'll be here in a day. He'll probably be up in, my, I'm guessing, like a week or so. Um, the bigger news, I think, it has to be um, Dylan Bundy being cleared to throw again by um, whatchamacallit. Uh, I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked because there were tweets today that included the names Dylan Bundy and 
Dr. Death James Andrews in the same sentence, and it was not horrible news. Now, I think Dr. James Andrews currently is working on all the bad news for the Washington Redskins right now and not for the Baltimore Orioles. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Um, any other big news information regarding health? I think Bundy was the biggest one for me. There is a, a widespread affliction through Birdland. Oh, is there? Yes. It's, uh, it's this weird stomach discomfort and feeling of illness that happens around the third to fifth inning of just about every game. Mm. But that's a different situation. Let's find out about it this week on the Twitters. Uh, first and foremost, I'm, I'm just going to go with one because there were lots of tweets. I'm going to go with the one from Baseball Tonight. It says, Joe Madden is at it again. Cubs will have a pajama party on their overnight flight back to Chicago. Uh, love the pajamas. Love the pajamas. Look, for everybody that hates on Joe Madden, you would love him if he managed your team. And when you get grown men in pajamas, I mean, here in the picture I'm looking at, again, this is a, a tweet from uh, Baseball Tonight at BBTN. You've got Pedro Strope in his TMNT pajamas. Yeah. What's not the love? Yep. That reminds me of good old memories from 2012 where Pedro Strope was interviewing Gary Thorne and wearing his team teenage throw jersey and not wearing his hat incorrectly. Um, but yeah, interesting picture. Personally, my favorite has to be the mustache pajamas from Jake Carrietta. Can't you, beat it. You want a mustache ride? Uh, next one on the Twitter. Uh, at least something is right with the baseball world. This comes from the Dodgers Twitter at Dodgers. Um, Vince Scully will be returning. Uh, and realistically, next year will be my last year with the Dodgers. Well, I guess it's good that he's come back for another year, but I don't want to hear this whole aspect of retiring. Haven't we heard that before? We have, but I think we're getting close to the point. I, I, I must say, I really have enjoyed Vin Scully being uh, so available now with the, the MLB network. Mm. I've caught quite a few Dodgers games in which they simulcast his radio broadcast. He's great. He is a, a jewel of, of baseball. So if Vin Scully retires, does that mean the president has to do a uh, an appointment to that point and it's got to go through the Senate confirmation hearings? No, 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 no. They're actually just going to rename Vin Scully something in the uh, native Inuit language. Okay, gotcha. All right, next we have a tweet that comes directly from the Orioles, at Orioles. And the question I have for you is, what would you bid? The tweet is as follows, from at Orioles. Bidding has begun for Maryland residents on Maryland license plates 2130 and 2131. It gives you a link to go over and and uh, bid on these auction items. And, of course, the, the auction goes to you know great charity causes that the Orioles have running. Right now, the 2130 uh, license plate, as of recording, uh, here uh, on uh, Monday night is uh, $587. All okay. right. The bid on the 2131 plate, $1,760. Uh, $1,760.56. That makes sense to me. My question to you. Mm. It, it, gun to your head, how much would you bid on an item like this? $50. Yeah, I, I'm not one that would care. I don't understand why you would bid for the 2130 license plate because people are like, oh, 2130. Yeah. I really wanted to get the number, which was the tie. Right. Like, I didn't want to get the like the breaking number. I wanted a tie because nothing distinguishes me over anybody else than the tie. Or like, you know, I've got all this money, but I don't have enough money to go buy the 2131. So I just went out and bought the second best thing I could. I mean, it's just not a really good thing. And what I want to know, they haven't released uh, 2632 yet, right? Mm, it doesn't appear to be now. Okay, so even somebody who buys 2131 is getting the second best plate. Right. 
I don't understand this. And and let me just say, I, this is not something that I do. I'm not I'm not a bitter. But as an early adopter of the Orioles plates, it feels kind of I don't know. It, it feels unfair that they're they're giving away these plates or giving away the option of these plates now. You know, the early adopters they were the ones that 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 you know leapt at the opportunity. You would think they would have those op, uh, auctions then. You know, when the iron was hot, when people were excited about it. I'm sorry, you're expecting the Orioles to make a move when the iron is hot and to basically reward situations of saying, hey, we've got this great thing. Let's go ahead and take advantage of it. Yep, you're right. I yeah, have that foolish. Uh, Cal Ripken's favorite third baseman is at it again. This comes from Dan Connolly. You can follow him at Dan Connolly's son. Double for Daryl Alvarez, his first MLB hit. Beltre gets the ball, jokes like he's going to throw it to the crowd, but tosses it to the O's dugout. I, I disagree with you. Not Cal Ripken's favorite uh, third baseman. Carl Ripken, however, of the TBS uh, broadcast, his favorite guy. Uh, Next, we have a a tweet from uh, Camden Chat, who tweets, of course, at Camden Chat. Unsure whether the more foolish group of people are the ones watching the Ravens game that doesn't count or those watching the Orioles game that does. But I will tell you this. The NFL certainly had an intern to call and confirm that no one is listening to Bird's Eye View. The other big news out there that came out this week was, and I'm not even sure if this is good news or bad news for the Orioles, but this comes from John Heyman. You can follow him at John Heyman CBS. Sources, Jays to name Indians Mark Shapiro club president. Announcement expected soon. Of course, that announcement came out today uh, and was confirmed. So Mark Shapiro is the new president of the Blue Jays at the end of the season. Uh, Dan Duquette does not get his glorious job in Toronto. Well, it just means that he's going to have to uh, accept his fallback position of actually trying to help the Orioles win. Interesting enough, too, uh, the Cleveland organization did not stand in any way or put any barriers. They're just like, if you want to leave, there's the door. Good luck. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Last tweet. This goes to the Sobs Quietly Corner. (laughs) This comes from John Bernhardt. You can follow him at John Bernhardt. Worth mentioning, trading Arietta isn't why O's starting pitchers are bad. They're bad because O's can't develop starting pitcher, and the only starting pitcher they spent money on was Abaldo Jimenez. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I got to tell you something. This week on the Twitter, it had a very, very dark feeling. But it wasn't just the Twitters. This week of Orioles baseball had a very, very dark feeling. In fact, I would say that Orioles baseball this week... It was this week in the sh**. You know, Scotty, when we started this podcast in 2012, we expected the Orioles to be terrible. We expected to uh, be chronicling a very awful team. We're finally getting our podcast that we always envisioned. Huzzah! (laughs) But when we did start the show, uh, we felt like we had to do some sort of game recap uh, for every game that took place between the shows. uh, And it occurred to us at some point that we were dumb. That was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) And we figured that if you were bothering to listen to us every week, you were also keeping up with the games. And there was really no reason to repeat any of that because you can get it, well, frankly, better elsewhere. But 
we are pleased to announce that after our little dust-up with the Major League Baseball Advanced Media Wing, we have reached an agreement with them, which will allow us, for this episode only, to replay some of the Orioles' highlights from the past week. That's a big settlement. I was, uh, you know, Scott, you worked so diligently on this, and I've just got to give it to you. You really have... uh, It's all the sources I have in the community up there, and that $6 billion industry, which is MLB Advanced Media. It was it was uh it was the thing where we made fun of them for taking over hockey. Uh, That's what did. Yeah, I think it was just the sandwiches I sent them. <laughs> Apparently, they're big mustard lovers. All right. Well, with that with no further ado, and by that I mean I sent them hot dogs, sandwich or not. Anyway, uh, anyway. <laughs> first we had the uh, the Royals series. So let's go back to the sounds of Game One. Uh, <clears throat> all right. You know what? Clearly not the best thing that the Orioles uh, were a part of. Let's go to get... No, you know what? Forget the whole Royals series. Um, The Orioles failed to exercise any demons from the 2014 ALCS. They dropped the four-game set, uh, three games to one. Let's just... You know what? Let's do this. Let's move right on to the Rangers series. Let's take a couple uh, of sounds from that Rangers series. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, all right. I don't like where this is going, Scott. But may not be exactly what we want to do here. The Orioles got swept in three games to the Rangers, okay. But hey, it was not all bad. Not all seven games this week were a house of horrors, all right? So let's take a step back. We're going to put together some sound here. Let's take a listen to the positive highlights for the Orioles from the past week. All right, all right. So it was not a banner week for the Orioles. In August, they've gone 11 and 15. In all likelihood, it's just going to get worse before it gets better. 26 of the remaining 32 games, not counting tonight uh, uh, here on uh, August 31st, are games on the schedule against AL East opponents. And with the exception of the even more hapless, at least for now, uh, Red Sox, the Orioles have not shown that they can beat any of them. We may be looking at a full-on collapse a Dark Ages-style swoon in August and September that sees stretches like losing, oh, I don't know, 9 to 10, 10 of 11, 13 to 17, 20 to 24, whatever it is. Settle in, Orioles fans. It's going to be ugly. Look, you know, maybe that they'll surprise us. You know, that's that's possible. Maybe the Orioles will pull out of their funk and uh, string together some unlikely wins in the next 32 games. But if we're being honest with ourselves... This team has not shown that capability. All right. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jake. Uh, team is definitely not good. We can harp on it. But honestly, that's what Orioles Twitter and Orioles Facebook are for. Um, I, I guess the question is, what are we looking for going in September? Jake, you started this whole thing off of 2012. We were expecting to watch a losing team. But we were watching a losing team looking forward to the future. And September call-ups are all about looking towards the future. The problem is... There really is no future coming up. You look at players coming up like, you know, Steve Johnson and Chaz Rowe coming back up, and you've got a bunch of players that are going to be 28 or 29 years old. It was really interesting seeing prospects come up that are 21 or 22 years old come up and perhaps be the the future for this team. But there's no prospect that I see on the current active 40-man roster that just intrigues me and says, ooh, I really want to get a look at him. 
and even in previous years, in 2012, 2013, 2014, I, I felt like there has been more hope. Um, and, and it just doesn't seem like it's there this year in terms of AAA. That doesn't mean that it's not there in terms of, you know, you know, Bowie or Frederick or even Aberdeen. But this year, uh, I'm not excited about September. Is there anybody that really excites you on the September call-up list? Not really. And in fact, the player that I would really like to see get some time, just a cup of coffee, is Mike Yastrzemski. Hmm. I, I feel like that would be a really interesting guy to see. Look, is he something or is he just a guy? And I don't feel like we've gotten a good look at him in spring. I know that he's done, you know, he's had good, his ups and downs in the minors. I I would really like to see him here in September, but he's not on the 40-man. Right. So, uh, no, to, to be honest with you, there's really not anything exciting. I think the only thing that we can look forward to is to look at maybe some of the pitchers yeah. that project to be in that bullpen next year and say, is this person or that person or whatever a candidate to be a late-inning uh, guy who can throw cheese? Sure. Is this person a situational lefty? Because we're going to need that moving forward. The Orioles are going to have a totally new look next year, and if they can solve some of those uh, holes in the bullpen internally, it allows them to do some other things. So yeah. I, I think that's that's basically all we can look at. So I've got a crazy idea, and it kind of comes back to the point you just made, which was, you know, you've got a lot of AAA arms, but there are none that really stack up as a great starting pitching option. That includes Mike Bright, and that includes Tyler Wilson, in my opinion. I know fans are really big on them after a few starts, but in reality, they're probably nothing more than a fist starter. But they could be really interesting bullpen arms. Jake, let me throw this at you just in terms of a crazy idea. What do you think about throwing together a few games where it's an entire bullpen game, where you have a starter start off, mm-hmm. a starter in parentheses start off and go two innings or three innings, and then you basically go through the entire roster, similar to like a spring training game, and you basically work out in a spring training game where you have you know seven pitchers show up and each of them pitch an inning, an inning, an inning, an inning. That would be really interesting to me, just determining um, how well um, certain pitchers that we have on the forty-man roster could actually be relief arms going forward and we can make the determination whether we actually want to keep them on the 40-man roster and whether they actually can play into the plans for 2016 in that bullpen um it's an interesting idea i I will say that i don't think coming in as a reliever in the third inning simulates coming in as a reliever when the game's on the line Mm -hmm. in the seventh inning um also I, i think that it as much as it sends the wrong message to the fans, I mean, who's going to want to go and watch a, a roster, uh, you know, manipulation game? There's no bigger white flag than that. Based I, off of watching the attendance tonight for Monday night, it doesn't look like there's many people that are interested in going and seeing a regular game either. I think it would be a slap in the face of the players as well. Okay, and, that's fair. And they've, and they've played themselves into that position, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I, I just don't think in a game that counts as much as, you know, meaningless games in, a, in September do – I don't think you'll see it. I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. I right. just don't think it'll ever happen. I just think it would be an interesting spot start. Again, also with Miguel Gonzalez now reporting soreness. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an interesting scenario where it's like, okay, well, if Gonzalez is going to be sore, who are you going to get to be your fifth starter? Well, maybe this is the way you go about it, even if it's not just a every single start, but maybe a spot start for two times in September. Sure. Uh, the only other player that really interests me to see give some more playing time would be Christian Walker. And I'm not a big Christian Walker fan. Um, but I'd like to find out where Christian Walker stands in terms of hitting major league talent to see if he actually has the potential to uh, be on the 25-man roster to start next season. I certainly don't think Chris Davis is back. haven't thought it for a while now. Um, 
But I just would be interesting to see where Christian Walker plays into that role or if the Orioles are going to be desperate and have to go back and get Steve Pierce for 2016. Is he in a position where he can compete in spring training? And I think it'll go a long way to show if he gets some playing time uh, here in September. Right. Uh, I because Especially against the American League East as well. Yeah. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I would also uh, like to get another look at Junior Lake. I don't think he's anything special. But my question with Junior Lake is, can he be a fourth outfielder on a major league team? If he can, he has value. Mm-hmm. And you hang on to him, and maybe you, you invite him up. To, uh, so he's the new David Lowe for you? Basically. Okay. Basically. But again, those players have value. Yeah. You know, I hated on David Lowe because he was absolutely useless. But a real fourth outfielder, a guy who can play all three defensive positions, and a guy who can occasionally be not hapless at the plate, that's a valuable player. Yeah. You don't pay him like a superstar, but it's like the Ryan Flaherty of the grass. Right. I guess the thing that concerns me most looking at the September is it just it's going to feel to a certain regard of going through the motions. And I'm not sure what the point is in reality. Yeah. And it's difficult for us because we, again, we've seen 2014, you know, the highest of the highs, uh, a team that wins 90 some games and is a favorite in the playoffs. And we've seen absolutely awful teams in the in the early aughts and we've seen so little in between and you know if this team gets itself together and dusts itself off and finishes 500 you know some years we would kill for that sure and we have exciting players like manny machado and jonathan scope and adam jones and for the time being chris davis to watch and Mm -hmm. there's something enjoyable about that there's nothing wrong with spending your fall day watching the orioles play a game against you know the red Sox. sure but if they don't end up dusting themselves off and they don't end up back at 500, it's going to be incredibly frustrating. It's a very different thing to watch. Yeah. I'd like to go and talk briefly about one of the players that you made. We mentioned um, it's one of our franchise players that we talked about in an earlier episode. I'd like to talk about Manny Machado and some of the topics that are surrounding him right now. All right, so Monday night, Manny Machado was given the start at shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. It was his first major league start at shortstop. That doesn't mean, you know, he's already appeared at shortstop, of course, with that guffaw game um, that caused the error. And let's not even think about that game because it makes me cry. And as you mentioned, he has played in the shortstop position. He's played in the shortstop position before as a a shift. So anybody that wants to be like, oh, this is his first time ever. No, it's not. You know, he's played in the shift there before many times. Um, we were talking about this, you know, uh, there's a lot of people that feel like this is a big deal. This is where Manny was originally in the minors and maybe this is where he should be. And then there are people that look at the gold glove and the platinum glove and say, uh, Manny has probably one of the best third basemen out there in terms of defensive performance. We should keep Manny Machado at third base. Let's not mess with a good thing. And I think you and I differ on this. Uh, and we were requested by Twitter and specifically Derek Arnold from Utah Street Report to kind of talk about this. So Derek, this one's for you. Um, this one goes out to, to Derek. Derek. Yes. So this is two weeks in a row we've uh, prompted something off of Derek Arnold. Um, okay, Jake. Uh, in my opinion, 
I really like to see Manny Machado at shortstop for the prolonged future. Um, I like to actually to see him here for the rest of the year. And the reason I say that is if you look at the third base numbers in terms of offense performance, third baseman numbers from, you know, offense performance is, it's very high. Um, you're talking a weighted runs created plus around like 105 to 110. And Manny, of course, is obviously going to get that, um, on a yearly basis. The thing is, when you move them over to shortstop, there is such a weak shortstop class out there in terms of the American League that Manny Machado would absolutely dominate that. And it's also seemingly a lot easier to pull in somebody to play third base and get that offensive production. Yeah, it's really nice to have Manny Machado there with the defensive approach, but it's absolutely not necessary to have that defensive approach if you can combine it with a really good offensive tool. It's nice, and I think we're kind of burnt in our heads of we cannot move Manny because we remember remember early 2012 with Mark Reynolds. We're like, well, anybody who goes over there has been terrible. But we have had people fill in for Manny uh, even last year, for example, in 2014, and the Orioles played very well after he got injured. So it's not like it's, not like it's a death knell is what I would say. I just think Manny in terms of if you're going to optimize this roster, the, one of the best ways you could optimize this roster would be to move Machado to shortstop. Now, the biggest issue with that be, what do you do with J.J. Hardy? And that's a big issue. Um, and I don't know if the Orioles would have an answer for that unless it's you know finding a trade partner this offseason. Um, but I would really like to see Manny Machado at shortstop. I think he gives the most amount of value there. All right, I, I hear it, and it's and it's a good argument. I don't want to make it sound like like you're you know talking. I, crazy. I also like Manny Machado a lot at third base, but I just like him a little bit more at shortstop. That's fine. I I am in the crowd that says don't mess with a good thing. Manny Machado plays all world third base, um, and you know the Orioles teams of old had a really good third baseman and, and showed what an important you know role that was. I, I think you are very correct when you say that Manny Machado is now providing the kind of offense that you need to see from a third baseman. And I would argue that he's also going to grow into the kind of hitter that will be more of a prototypical third base production than you'll get out of shortstop. Can I, I make a counterpoint? Please. So the counterpoint, the argument that you've made is let's not mess with a good thing, because if you've got a good thing, you really don't need to mess up the boat too much. A similar argument was made during the 2014 offseason as well, where the Orioles had a really good roster at the end of the 2014 season. And Dan Duquette said, well, you know, we really don't need to go out and get some big, flashy free agents because this team won the American League East last year, and we're getting back like Matt Wieters and Manny Machado and Chris Davis. We're going to be better than last year. So, Jake, don't you kind of need to rock the boat every once in a while? Oh, absolutely. I also think that if we are going to play in a world that doesn't include J.J. Hardy, let's just— Hypothetically. Let's just— let's just be in that world for a second i feel that it would be easier for the orioles to replace a shortstop than it would be a great uh third baseman i feel like you can live with a shortstop who doesn't hit quite as well that's a slick fielder more than you can deal with a uh, third baseman that isn't going to to hold his value at third with a stick so perhaps part of this uh, whole um argument on my side is really a defensive mechanism of not wanting to have another travis snyder at yes. third. it's a very good possibility let me ask or you, paul yanish <laughs> let me ask you this question sure um Let's just again, we're spitballing here in the in the post JJ Hardy world. Yes, uh, when when Jonathan Scope first came up, yeah. he was tried over at third. Yeah, the experiment did not work. No, is Jonathan Scope's arm being wasted at second base? And as an established major league player who no longer would say have the rookie jitters, 
Do you think that Jonathan Scope might be tried at third base if Machado was moved to short? I think it's definitely a possibility. You know, I would shoot it down really quickly, and I'm like, eh, I really like Scope at second base, but I have to make that same argument that I just did, which was, well, is it best to move a an individual that could have 25-plus homers to third base and then optimize someone at second base instead? It's a possibility, and I could easily see the Orioles going about in that fashion and saying, we're going to move Ryan Flaherty back to second base and put Scope at third base, and that would be a very cheap alternative for them. Um, but I could see it. I just... I, I do like Scope at, at second base. I, I If you're going to move Machado to shortstop, I'm okay with moving Scope to third base to fill that hole and then going out and finding a second baseman. Because, again, easier to replace a second baseman at proper value. Right. And if I'm doing that next year, there's a perfect second baseman on the market that I would go out and get in a heartbeat. And you know who I'm thinking. I'm thinking Ben Zobrist. Hmm. You want, you know, people are clamoring for this uh, high OBP player. Um, you've got an individual there that, you know, probably can't play a lot of positions, but could easily play a second base right field and first base and be that platoon player. Ben Zobrist, I know, has been wanted by the Orioles for several years now. Sure, he's getting up there in age at 35, but if you're going to sign up for a two-year deal of 35 and 36, it may just be enough filler to get through for a while while the other players develop around him. Can I ask you something? Sure. How are we doing with signing uh, middle infielders in their 30s? Um, Everett Cabrera turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, look going back to manny machado third base or shortstop again i don't think you're crazy i don't i i think there's every good argument to move him to shortstop i would just rather leave him where he be um but that having been said yeah i hope that jj hardy comes back and has you know 160 game season in uh, 2016, and, and rakes hits, for like 20 home runs. Yeah, and hits 20 home runs again, and has that stupid soul patch, and everybody chants out his name when he comes up to bat, and you know makes me jealous because my wife. These is comments really are annoying. almost as idiotic as thinking Ryan Flaherty is going to hit 20 home runs. I I want all of those things for JJ Hardy. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. No. Um, let me ask you, Manny Machado contract. We put on Twitter today asking for crowdsourcing for contract, and we got numbers anywhere between 120 to 150 million dollars in terms of a six-year deal. I know some people said well, we should just give him everything. We should give him an eight-year deal, but let's just go by what we put out there: six years, anywhere between 120, 150 million. Jake, Jake, where do you fall? in that paradigm well if i'm the orioles i offer him 115 and i'm willing to go as high as say 135 okay um but i'm i'm interested really because i I feel like there's no wrong answer here right i mean i feel like we're all going to say somewhere in the area of 18 to 24 million dollars per year or something you know something in that neighborhood yeah i'm really interested by the way you phrased the question which was six years now can you can you tell us a little bit about why you chose six i i chose six um based off the trout um contract that was made, uh, which was six years for $145 million. Um, if Machado were to uh, finish out at that point, he'd be finishing right around like 28 years old, which would be prime free agency for him. Yeah. He'd be getting a $200 million contract at that point as well. Again, as long as he's still performing, I think Machado is going to want to test free agency at least once. And I think that if he can get out of the arbitration years, great. He's had complaints about it in the past. Um, I, I think that Machado would be willing to sign a six-year contract and allow to, you know, and allow to see go out. Now, if the Machado wants to go out and sign a ten-year contract, then it's a question of how much money do the Orioles really want to put into a player also that's had two knees replaced. And I think whenever you're getting into ten-year contracts, we've never had a ten-year contract contract really work out well. Even with Mike Trout, they ended up going with six years. It gives a degree of flexibility for the club, and it gives a degree of flexibility for the player to overperform and also allow the markets to. 
resaturate out with the new TV revenue deals that are going to be blooming you know, six years from now as well. And I think Trout's a good case because Manny Machado is a great player, but he's obviously not Mike Trout. Uh, but he's right behind Mike Trout in terms of five-year projected war. But I, I think it sets the appropriate right. ceiling, I think, for that deal. I, I think it's very close. You know, I could easily see it being very similar to Trout's number between 140 to $150 million. Do you pull the trigger for $150 million for six years of Manny Machado? Mm. <sighs> I'd say yes. But it's not my money, so it's hard for me to say that. I will point out this, and I was looking at this really cool thing today because um, I was thinking about Manny Machado's contract in three years, and it's going to be in that 25 to $30 million range. Jake, did you know that over, no. the, <laughs> at, over the past 15 years that no team has won the World Series, that one player has been 15% of their payroll? I mean, that's not surprising. It's not surprising, but... If Manny Machado does make $25 million and the Orioles payroll stays at $130 million, it'd be over 15%, which means the Orioles aren't going to go and win the World Series unless payroll were to suddenly exceed. So my opinion is if the Orioles are going to go out and sign this contract to $150 million, that's fine. But folks, I hate to tell you this, but it doesn't mean it means, you know, ticket prices are going to go up. Um, there's going to be, you know, players lost, um, and there's going to be a decline in, in certain players that you really want to keep that you can't keep. Zach Britton, for example, would probably be jettisoned, is my guess, in order to save money and be like, we can't pay a closer eight to nine million dollars, just like Jim Johnson was. We're going to need to jettison him in order to keep many. Let's get some Jameel Weeks in here, um, or Brad Brock, or uh, Michael Givens, or. Someone along those lines. Now, to answer your question before, no, I was not aware of the fact that a, a team that has had a single player with over 15% of their payroll never winning the World Series. I did not know that. But I, they might have been in history. That might have been the case, like a Babe Ruth or something like that. But I'm saying in you know the past 15 or so years, it hasn't popped up. Of modern baseball economics. Right. But it does make sense. Think about it. You can either get a bunch of tier one, you know, low tier one or high tier two guys, or you can get one super tier one guy and only have the money for a bunch of tier threes. Right. You know, I mean, it, it yeah. just, it, it makes, it makes perfect sense, even for a dumb guy like me. Yeah. Now, do you also, can I give you a, another tidbit? Do you know what that rule is called? What is that rule called? It is called the Tome Corollary. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would enjoy that. Oh, my, that's uh, Marissa Tome. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the other thing about <laughs> Manny Machado <laughs> making all that money, you know, you said $150 million and, and I shuddered, but in six years, $150 million is going to be a completely different thing for a player contract than it is now. Sure, sure. So the thing, and this is kind of the same argument that I made about Abaldo Jimenez's contract, is that the way starting pitching is starting to be valued at this point, that contract might not look so silly at the end of it. And so if we go it out... It looked very silly at the beginning of it. <laughs> it certainly did. <laughs> but if the Orioles go out and spend $150 million on Manny Machado, at the end of that contract, that might look like a steal. It, it Like I said... When you look at an Alberto Jimenez contract, like you pointed out, $15 million at year four, um, it's annoying. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but in all honesty, you just need to get two war out of him. And there's a good likelihood that Alberto Jimenez is going to get two war this season. So by that aspect, you're capturing the value for Alberto Jimenez as much as he's had a kind of an up-down, up-down season. He's still worth it to be a number three or a number four starter. And in all honesty, that's kind of what Alberto Jimenez has been. He's just not been an ace so and were you really expecting him to be an ace let me lay one more thing on you with manny machado's contract situation i think i figured out how we can make it affordable okay 
We need to structure that contract like Bobby Bonilla's contract with the Mets. Okay. I want Manny Machado to still be being paid when our kids are our age. That works out so well for the Mets. In fact, I think the Orioles just got off the hook for one of their contracts. What, it was a year or two ago? So um, kudos for Bobby Bonilla. (laughs) I had another issue, too, um, regarding Manny Machado. We had a disagreement about this along with the shortstop situation, and that was about um, the final strikeout call that he got where he got a little emotional with the umpire. Um, Jake, I know you had an issue with it. Do you want to elaborate? Here's the thing. Manny Machado, and I, I love Manny Machado. I uh, eat his salsa. I, I, you know. Can I admit something? Sure. This is going to cause a disagreement too. Had the salsa? Yeah. Did you have the medium and the mild? I, I had the medium. <sighs> Pack up the podcast. We're over. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I love Manny Machado. I, I want him to be here for six years. I want him to be the player that my kids grow up having be their hometown guy. I want that very much. But I'm also a little afraid that Manny Machado is a player that we've seen on other teams with a look that's not so good. Look, why is Bryce Harper so poorly regarded around the league? One, it's jealousy because yep. other 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 uh, fans would kill to have him on their team. Yep. But the other reason is the fact that he came into the league very young and acted like a jerk it's on several occasions. It's the hair. And that stuck with him. That sticks with players for out, throughout their career. Look at guys who are great. And, and I say the word great, not sarcastically. David Ortiz is one of the best home run hitters that you and I will have ever seen play live. Mm-hmm. And he is an absolute jerk. Yeah. I have seen him personally thrown out on strike two. Yeah. Alex Rodriguez, an incredibly talented baseball player. Also a first world class jerk. That's for off-field situations, too, of who's, taking steroids. Whose ego got away with him, and the rest of his personality falls right into it. Yeah. But again, if we're just going to get emotional over, you know, the occasional, like, hey, end of the game, losing streak going on, I mean, you have to be a little frustrated. Let me owe it back into history, as Matt Taylor from Roar from 34 would do. You know, Jake, I'm reminded of um, me as a kid— and I'm reminded of one player, and that's Eddie Murray. And Eddie Murray used to take crap all the time from fans and the media for not displaying emotion and kind of being even keeled no matter what happened. And that got a lot of, on a lot of people's nerves. People were like, well, that guy's, you know, doesn't care. You know, he's, you know, ungrateful. But what's interesting is when Eddie Murray was drafted, the Orioles actually gave a psychological test to a majority of their prospects. And Eddie Murray did pretty much amazing on this and basically was a very even killed thing. And they knew at that point when they got him saying in the tough situations that he's going to be in, he is going to be able to overcome that. But we as fans like to pick on those players and be like, well, they need to show more emotion when they strike out, you know, where's their heart. They need to care. They need to care. And that's been a thing a lot is during this losing series is on Twitter and on Facebook. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, this team doesn't care anymore. The fans uh, and the coach doesn't care. The GM doesn't care. And Adam Jones specifically came out and was just like, if you don't think these guys are care on a day in and a day out basis, then you don't know what you're talking about. We all care. You know, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go in there and spank these guys? You know, of course they're going to get emotional. Of course, and there are some fans who would like that. And there is. Yeah, you know, they're going to get emotional. This is a game, but it's their livelihood. And it's frustrating to go out there on a day in and day out basis and lose. And honestly, I'm kind of glad to see 
that emotion come out because it's the same exact emotion that we have here as fans. So am I going to hold it against Machado? No. And I think it's perfectly okay to blow up on an occasion. If it becomes a trend like it has been for David Ortiz, then I'll have a bigger issue with it. But in all honesty, Machado's done a pretty decent job outside of last year's whole athletics incident this whole season, it's been pretty even-keeled about things. So I'm going to let one instance during a particularly bad streak of baseball be allowed. And, and it's a perfectly reasonable argument. And again, this is one of these situations, Scott, where you know we're on the opposite side of the, the argument. But I, I, again, you're not crazy. My issue, and you talked about last year's athletic situation, I feel like that is a stain on him that he has to overcome. And I didn't so much mind his outburst with the media in the clubhouse the other day. You know, dropping a few f bombs yep. and, and being a little coarse. Look, you get beat like that, and the media comes in and shoves microphones in your face. You know, without giving you you know an hour to cool off to to deal with the emotions of the the being in in the throes of that game. Look, I get that. I also get the fact that in the, in the spur of the moment, you know, he can get emotional. But I feel like in the light of what happened last year, Machado has to be careful about how he portrays himself in front of kids, in front of fans, both home and away. And if you are going to get emotional, and and I, I agree that you know sometimes that's okay, after strike three to end the game, it's not going to change a call. It's not going to affect the game. It in no way enables you to win that day. It can only hurt you for tomorrow. And so if he's going to get emotional, and Scott, you're right, players have to. I need him to pick his spots. Well, Jake... I, I tend to agree with you. It's really important to pick your spots. And if you're going to pick your spots, then you need to do so better this week. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby, you should do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy, hey, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down inside out and across. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, you're the boss. Oh my gosh, I won this week. Scott, you're the boss. Yeah. Um, all right, Jake. Uh, we chose Babbitt last week. Adam Jones finished with a Babbitt of 316. Artapara, 182. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, season series now at 10 for Jake, eight for Scott and one for the tie. Jake, I'm going a little off keister for the category this week. I'm terrified only because you just used the word keister, but please continue. We're going to do an over and under. This is a first for fantasy boss. This is a first for fantasy boss. Jake, we have six games on the docket for this week. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Over or under on 10 and a half runs being scored by the Orioles? Six games, 10 and a half runs? Yes. That's a really good line. (laughs) (laughs) Hell, I'll do it. I'll take the under. All right. So Jake is going to take the under for 10 and a half runs in the six games for this week. Scott's going to take the over because that's the only choice we have left. Uh, who, let's just let's just break down who are the opponents for this week. So we got three games against the Tampa Bay Rays, and we got great pitching, great pitching, and we got three games against the Homer Dome Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, yeah, uh, okay. I'd have to look at the pitching matchups, but uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's that is a really good number you picked. Ten Thanks. and a half is a <laughs> is a dangerous. Uh, a lot of people are going to lose money this week on yep. this. So if you've got an opinion out there about whether the Orioles going to go over or under this week in terms of ten and a half, tweet us at Bird's Eye View B A L with hashtag over or hashtag under. And with that, let's go through the not so lovely totals in the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, this week, I'm going to go first. We do this most weeks, and basically that's because the the rants that come out of Scott Magnus for the ugly uh, far exceed the quality of my own. Uh, I'm going to go ahead uh, for my good that... No, you know what, Scott? This would be the time where I would tell you who was good this week, in my mm. opinion, who had a good week, but I'm going to abstain. What? I'm going to abstain. I, another this first, is unheard of. Another first for the podcast. Scott, I am going to refuse to answer the good this week because there was nothing good about this week. It was a no good, terrible, awful week of Orioles baseball. And I award them no points. Good day, sir. And may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Steve Pierce came back for the Baltimore Orioles this week against the Kansas City Royals. He had 25 plate appearances in there. And honestly, he did pretty well, in my opinion. 355 Woba, 126 weighted runs created plus. Part of that's due to the two home runs he had. Uh, because his average was at 227. But Steve Pierce is kind of picking up where he was before he got hurt. If Steve Pierce can have a hot September, well, it's good for Steve Pierce because he probably goes into free agency and signs with another team. But I'd love to have Steve Pierce back on his team. I think a majority of this season has been a huge blip. And as much as people are on this point to last season being, you know, the blip, I think this season, certain with the Babbitt, has been a little different. I'm not saying Steve Pierce has to be an everyday player, but I think Steve Pierce is good enough to be a 25 man player for the Baltimore Orioles in 2016. He's great to have. If he can be even halfway what he was, if he, if he could be a mixture between this year and last year, that's a player I want on my team. Not to mention if you really need that second baseman, yeah. you got Steve Pierce. <laughs> that was going to be my next point. Actually, he can play almost anywhere on the diamond. And frankly, I think if he is going to be signing with another team, he would give the Orioles the first shot, and frankly, I'd like to have him because I, I'm 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 like that. You're a big fan of Team Steve. All right, next one up for your bad. All right, for my bad, it's going to be Chris Davis. Look, he had a rebound and was looking great. At one point, his batting average, which I know is not an amazing stat, no. but his batting average was back up to 260, yeah. right? Which tells part of the story, right? This week, he was as cold as ice. He was willing to sacrifice our love. I see um, what you did there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, he was three for 27 with two walks against 16 strikeouts. That's a 51.9% K rate. He drove in three runs on, on the back of two home runs, but he had a 0.193 Woba and a 13, 13 weighted runs created plus. Again, league average is 100. Yeah. 13. It was certainly a very bad week for Chris Davis. And I'll point out, when you have him in the middle of the order, um, it's, it certainly doesn't help. But by that same aspect, Adam Jones, weighted runs creative plus of 57. So the entire middle of the order, well, in fact, the entire roster outside of Steve Pierce from the offensive side basically decided to tank it this week. Um, 
going to go to my bad, and it has to be Matt Wieters. I'm just not feeling Matt Wieters whatsoever. Five weighted runs created plus, and uh, it just doesn't look like he cares out there, and maybe it's just me being biased, but Matt Wieters looks like he has packed it in. Adam Jones would want to spank you for that comment, but uh, the, the results certainly speak for themselves, don't they? They do. Um, go ahead, take your ugly. All right, my ugly, someday we'll look back, mm. and we'll say this is the day the season died. The Twin Series. Yeah. The Twin Series killed the Orioles. Now, I thought I had very serious doubts back when the Orioles got swept by the Yankees. It was a do-or-die season. They were four games back in the in the division. Sure. They had the chance to get one game back of the New York Yankees or fall seven games back in the division. What did they do? They got swept and they ended up seven games back. They played the Twins last week. They had every opportunity to stay relevant in the wild card race. If not, I think at that point they were the second wild card team. They were. But they had the chance to put the Twins away, and instead they started the slide that they're on, and that was it. I mean, that that was the season for them. So the day the season died, the Twin Series. Mm. Yeah, it was definitely bad. Of course, that was kind of last week and not this week, but yeah, details. Jake, the obvious bad this week. Has to go to Gerardo Para, who lost you fantasy boss, but Jake posted Thanks. a negative fifty four weighted runs created plus. Um, that Jake, sounds unimpressive. Yeah, it's very unimpressive. Um, this week alone, he was good for a negative point four WAR. Jake for the Orioles so far in the only twenty six games that he's played, he has been good for a two forty one average, a two eighty on base percentage, and a. 300 Woba, good for 87 weighted runs created plus. He is good for a total of negative 0.1 war since coming to the Orioles. This should be really impressive. This should be absolutely impressive. The Orioles took the hottest hitter in the NL and managed to pour ice down the front of his pants. The Orioles are all powerful. Right. For those fans out there that, you know, are looking at and saying, oh, I really like Gerardo Parra. You know, the Orioles are need to re-sign him. You know, I look back at his numbers over the past few seasons, and I'm just going to wait, read off the weighted runs created plus. 2012-93, of course, has been high, but now with the Orioles, he's starting to regress. Jake, he looks like a surefire regression candidate, and as much as I like his arm out in the outfield, I've seen plenty of arm this week from Daryl Alvarez and Henry Udia to me justify saying, if I'm going to go and pay someone, I'll put them out there as an arm if we're just going to get that kind of offensive talent. So Gerardo Parra has done nothing to impress me at this point. Gerardo Parra, you're on notice. And really, if he's going to get paid in the offseason for a career year, and he will. He will. He'll let, get some, he'll, someone will give him a two- or three-year deal. Let it be somebody else. Right. So, let it be somebody else. That's a good one. All right, you ready to go ahead and blow the save, Jake? I'm gonna blow the save, and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave things tonight on a uh, well on a, on a really dreadful note. Oh, perfect uh, for this podcast. This this was something that I pulled out of this week for the twitters uh, because it was a two parter, and I felt like it was important to note. This is a series of tweets from Brittany Giroli, who of course tweets at Brit underscore Giroli. The first one, and this was from uh, yesterday, the 30th of, of August, so it is uh, it is different at this point. But at the time, her tweet was as follows. When the Orioles trail after seven innings, they are 1-56. and 56. So you're saying there's a chance. But wait, but wait. 
For those of you who are curious, this is the second tweet. The Orioles are 0-58 when trailing after eight innings this year. Oof. Magic, 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 magic. Orioles magic. Feel it happen. There's no magic to be had. Now, when your biggest moment in terms of like walk-off wins is like a David Lowe walk-off home run in the ninth <laughs> inning, um, and that's after a blown save. Most clutch dog. Yeah. Thanks, OBP. Yeah, thanks. But just oh, just terrible, terrible. And I think that to a certain regard, that's what the biggest disappointment has been from 2015. It's not been, you know, the pitching staff not being so great. And, you know, even the offensive numbers have been similar it's the ability to not be able to come back in games and also not get leads to start the games and just kind of just trudging along like a marathon of the suck. Sunday was the best example. Yes. 14 consecutive batters to end the game were out. Yeah. All right. The Orioles basically packed in the offense in the fifth inning. It's like the Orioles in 2015, once they get their nose punched, yeah. they curl up into the fetal position and they die. And, and it's, it's watching a game for an hour and seeing if the Orioles can score a run first or get ahead. And if they don't and they are go down by three runs, it's like, well, why do I want to watch this for another hour and a half? Because I know what the end of the story is because I've seen this movie already a hundred times. Or as Brit Giroli told us on, on August 30th, 58 times. 58 times, yes, exactly. I told you that I was going to end this on a great note. Yeah, I feel so encouraged and enthusiastic now. Thanks, Jake. I really appreciate that. I'm just paying you back for saying that you didn't like Manny Machado's salsa. It, it's, it was okay. It's from Pittsburgh, so... I'm a big fan of Manny Machado's salsa. Best it's one. the only part of Manny Machado that doesn't let me down on a regular basis. Ooh. And <laughs> we're ending the show on a new low. Well, folks... Great week of Orioles baseball ahead of us. Woo! We're going to see what happens. Um, thanks for tuning in. I know it's difficult out there to tune into an Orioles podcast, especially the way they're playing, but we appreciate you listening to our playful banter. We love you, listeners. And with that, you know, we really didn't sing that much this week, so I guess that's kind of a positive. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go. O's. Please, 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 just a little bit, please, please. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.